0: You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99CHART, 888-99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk.
1: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Invest Talk. It's hard to believe it's summer, and the summer's racing by pretty fast. I don't know where you are, but it's pretty hot down here in the Southern California area. So this is a Thursday edition of Invest Talk. I'm Steve Peasley, and I thank you for making time to join me today. Each weekday at this time, four to five Pacific time. Pacific time. And I appreciate it. Now, the open uh, the moment you open the home page of our of our website, InvestTalk.com. You'll well, that's one of our websites. We also have KPPFinancial.com, but uh, you'll see a simple statement there. A statement. It says. The InvestTalk commitment to reason and common sense guidance can make you a better investor. Reason and common sense. That's all I'm asking for you to do. Use your reason and common sense and you'll be fine. Now, and that's not just some statement, some throwaway marketing line. I'm serious about this. It's serious. Our aim here at InvestTalk and KPP Financial is to help you grow and protect your money. And it's certainly worth a, worthy as a goal, right? I mean, that's what we want. We want to grow it, and we want to protect it. And so sometimes, you know, you can't do both of those at the same time. You can't protect it and grow it. So you just have to understand how to protect it and how to grow it and using your common sense. Common sense, okay? But first, you've heard me say it. Your questions drive the program. So it's time to make room for one of your calls to our anytime list line 888-99-CHART.
2: Hi, this is Richard from Texas. My question is about real estate. My wife and I are thinking about buying in a home and looking at maybe a condominium or a house with a piece of uh, property. Is there any plus or minuses to the condo or the house that we need to be aware of? Uh, we're not sure which route to go, so if you can give me any information, uh, return on equity or what we should know that uh, we don't know. Thank you.
1: Well, uh, it, 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 buying real estate is all about location, okay? Where are you buying? Um, and if you're saying, well, what I, should I have a condominium or should I have a house? If you plan on living in it forever, I would probably recommend a house, Okay, because you're by yourself, you're not connected to other walls, you're not connected to a community which may or may not suit you. In a condominium, you'll have adjoining walls. And sometimes your neighbors are not pleasant to be next to, and when you buy a condominium, you're stuck. You know, and you, you, know, you want to be careful. Generally speaking, and I'm, I have to generalize because I don't know where you're buying, but generally speaking, the appreciation is higher on a house than on a condominium. But it depends on where. You know, I I I'm familiar with Southern California. I'm familiar with the middle of California up in the Bay Area. By the way, everybody, that is the middle of California. Everybody call that Northern California. It's not really, if you look on a map, Northern California is above San Francisco. It's a big state. But no one talks about that, anyways. Or if you're talking about upstate New York or Florida, where are you? Where are you? But I'm going to say that generally, a house will appreciate faster than a condominium. The drawbacks of the condominium is you're much closer to your neighbors, and maybe two. But I will also say that a condominium might be a better rental if you ever want to turn it into a rental than a single-family home. But that's a problem there too, because if you want to live in it, your neighbors could be your renters. So there's those pluses and minuses that you have to think about. Appreciate the call, thank you. Kevin, Tracy, how are you doing, Kevin?
2: Good, good. Uh, I was just curious about uh, what kind of programs you guys use to uh, for a uh, stock valuation.
1: Well, we have a number of systems that we use with various different calculations, and we try to give you a number, so we you know, instead of a range as close as we can there's a very simple way if you want to do it yourself which we use often to see if there's evaluations we take next year's earnings figure out what that growth rate from this year if it's going up 10 percent 20 percent and then multiply that times earnings per share so if it's going up 20 percent it's a two dollar earnings per share 20 times two is a 40 dollar stock there's a very simple way to evaluate a stock To get a valuation there's other things we use we use interest rates we use some pretty sophisticated formulas
0: yeah it depends on the company as well whether it's a cyclical company or is it something that has a long-term steady trend uh that you don't really have to worry about the business cycle affecting its earnings dramatically and then that's that's also very important because those companies that are coming out of recession growing 40 50 percent but as the economic cycle, you know, kind of peters out or we go back into some sort of a, a dip in the economy, then that obviously will turn around quickly.
1: So it's much more complex than just saying, well, here's a stock and that is the valuation. There's a lot of things that go into it, sector, interest rates, mortgage, you know, a bunch of things, a bunch of things go into it. Okay. So it's really difficult, Kevin. So what,
2: uh, what do you discount it at? Do you discount it at the SP 500s, or do you discount it at, like, a uh, treasury fund?
1: Many of our calculations use the 10-year treasury, based on that. There's competition for money between bonds, U.S. Treasury, because it's ultra-safe, there's no risk, and then right. risk, which is stocks. So we like to use the treasury. Kevin, I appreciate right. the call. Thank you. Thanks. What's going to be our feature talking point today? How much tax will you owe on stocks you sell in 2018? Now, I do think this is kind of a silly kind of question because there's so many things that take into consideration, but we're going to get more into that, and we'll talk about it. Also, there is no bubble in stocks. Now, people have been writing about or talking about a bubble in stocks and going back to, like, 2011 when the market recovered All the losses in 2009 and started rising. But there's no bubble. And I'm going to give you some evidence of why, why there isn't. Why? Also, is the market tracking the late 1930s before it collapsed again? Remember, it had 1929 crash, right? Great Depression. But you know that it recovered. But... Do you know what happened after in the 1930s? I'm going to track some of the similarities we have today that they had back then. Because the market fell in the late 1930s hard again. And durable goods. Durable goods report for June came out today. I think it's important. I think the durable goods uh, report is one of the more important reports that comes out. It is a lagging indicator, but I think it's important. Okay, remember, we love beginner questions. Everyone who listens to this program either is a beginner or was one at that one time. So we welcome your question at 888-99-CHART. Now, what is the question?
2: I have to say that I'm kind of new to this game. I'm an engineer, so that's kind of what I do. So I was intrigued. I read uh, a year or so ago about option trading. Okay. And so I've been studying up on it and doing some, what you know, fake trades, paper trades, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I finally actually started a margin account, a uh-huh. little one, $3,500, you know, just okay. as a hobby.
1: Okay.
2: I've doubled the money so far, so I figure that's okay on little, little stuff. However, my concern is with options, you know, there's quite a bit of trading. And I heard something the other day on your program that concerned me about taxes because yes. I just have a straight margin account. And of course, you know, I trade frequently. Mm-hmm. What do I need to do or know about my taxes.
1: Almost all that's going to be short-term capital gains and losses. And as short-term capital gains and losses, you need to track. It's going to be all at your uh, your income tax rate. So that $3,500 you made is going to be taxed at whatever income tax bracket you're in.
2: I guess what I'm concerned about is, you know, there's so many trades. And, of course, the brokerage form I'm with, you have all the paperwork that they're trades all,
1: Dan, they're not going to send you what's called a 1099. And that 1099 is not going to suffice for your task guide. What you need to do is set up a spreadsheet for your buys and sells. Just track every buys and sell, post, the date you bought it, the date you sold it, and make a column for short-term capital gains and a column for long-term. And I have a feeling every one of these trades will be under 12 months in duration. Yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah. every one of them will be a short-term so you don't have to have a separate column. So every one will be a short-term. And if you just print that spreadsheet out when you get your ten ninety nine from your brokerage firm and attach it and write schedule A on it <laughs> that's what I do by the way. And I put you know, whatever the gain is, hopefully it's always gains, right? That's what we think Dan. Wow. And then put, write Schedule A on the appropriate tax box in your tax return and just put the total number and say C Schedule A.
2: My concern was, you know, I started with, say, just 3500 Yep. the minimum amount. If I was to lose money, I would claim that as a loss, and if I gained money, that would be a gain. All this other stuff I was worried about, you know, some trades I made lost, of course, and some mm-hmm. gained, but it's only on the total at the
1: end of the year that you're taxed. Correct. Right? Your losses always at offset your gains. And vice okay. versa. So you never have to worry about that. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate the call. 888 chart When you hear us talking about a certain stock or a story of great interest to you, please remember to tell your friends. Uh, if you really like the show, pass a word. We love to talk to as many people as we can. We broadcast radio live on our 1220 station in the Bay Area. Uh, and then, of course, we stream the show live on our investtalk.com. And we podcast replays where we cut out all the commercials. Anyways, we hope you can you can downcast it. Down, the podcast you can download on investtalk.com. And, of course, we always appreciate your input. Live calls, so make your voice heard. Call us now, 888-99-CHART.
0: To an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though, 888 99Chart, 888 99Chart, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888
1: 992 4278. So, how much tax will you pay when you sell a stock in 2018? Okay, well, first of all, it's silly to say 2018, it should be just how much tax you all owe on stocks that you sell. And then that's a much better question. 2008, doesn't matter when you sell it. You know, the, the, the law is the law. Okay, so first of all, if you're in a retirement account, 401k, IRA, Roth IRA, there's no consequence of selling a stock, whether you make a lo- make a profit or a loss. Okay, none. No tax, oh, you don't get anything. If you are in a regular account, not a, a retirement account, Okay, you're gonna and you sell a stock and you make a profit, you will owe taxes. If you don't make a profit, you won't owe any taxes. Okay, those will be what we call capital losses, and I'll talk about them in a second. If you make a profit on a stock you sell in a regular account, a joint account, an individual account, but not a just long as it's so long as it's not a retirement account, you're gonna have to pay capital gains. Well, how much do you pay? If you own the stock for one year and one day, you will pay 20% of the profits. That's the tax. If you hold it, if you bought the stock and sold it less than a year, less than a year, and made a profit, you're going to pay the, your taxes owed, you're going to add that profit to your ordinary income, and you're going to pay ordinary income tax, whatever your rate is on that profit. Okay? So that's how that works. Let's say you have a loss. If you have a loss in a stock, and we, I just described short-term and long-term capital gains taxes, right? If you have a loss, you also have to determine if it's a short-term or a long-term loss using the same periods, year or, year or more, year or less. You can write off the loss against a gain, short-term gains. Loss against a short-term gain, so your taxes could be reduced. Long-term gain versus long-term loss, so your taxes can be reduced. You also can you also can write off three thousand dollars of your loss for the year. Three thousand all total losses for the year. You can write three thousand dollars and deduct it from your adjusted gross income. Three thousand dollars you can write off of your adjusted gross income, reducing your tax. Okay? You also can, if you have a loss for one year, you can roll it over to the next year. Carry forward to the next year. Okay. This is Invest Talk. I'm Steve Peasley and I was very pleased with your interest in my in the one-on-one portfolio reviews last month in San Jose. So I set up another day and I usually set up a day every month or every six weeks or so, whatever the demand is, uh, and I'm going to be there in uh, August 29th.
0: Listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though. 888 99 chart 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next
1: Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART is our number, 888-992-4278. Let's go to Sid in Fremont. How are you doing, Sid? Hi, how are you? Good. I haven't talked to you in a while. I know. Well, I'm still here. Quick question.
2: Sure. You haven't brought up closed-end funds. Do you consider closed-end products a good option or not?
1: Well, not if you're indexing. What I'm talking about is index mutual funds or index ETF because closed-end funds can trade not at the actual price of what they're worth, what those stocks are worth inside the ETF or or a mutual fund. They can trade at a discount or a premium because closed-in funds is a finite number of shares. Therefore, there could be more demand or less demand for those number of shares. And so the price could be above what it should be or below what it should be, and that's what a closed-in fund does. Now, from a strategy point of view, Sid, if you want to buy an index and you can find a closed-in fund that's selling at a discount to the actual value, that might not be a bad way because at right. some point it will probably go to either the value or premium at some point, right? Because it's an index, right. it's just following a bunch of stocks, the S and P 500, or the, and they shouldn't sell at much of a discount or a premium because they're just tracking the index. That's all it's doing. But if something happened where it did sell at a discount, that might not be a bad way to go and buy it. Sid, I appreciate yeah. the call. Thank you very much. Very good. Thanks Thank very you very much.
0: Our Invest Talk mission is to help you make better investing decisions. To do that on your own, thumbs up or thumbs down choices based on good, solid investing principles. But we need your questions to keep us on track. Eight 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 ninety nine 99 chart or click on Contact Steve or Contact Justin on investtalk.com.
1: 888-99-CHARTER is our number, everybody. You can reach us. We have lines open, 888-992-4278. Let's go to Eddie in Sacramento. Hi, Eddie. How you doing? Good
0: afternoon. Hmm? If it's not going to teach me how to make money in the market, where in the heck do I find out the information and get the knowledge that investors acquire?
1: Very good question. You need to start reading, and I know that doesn't sound exciting, but I'll give you a couple of books that you can look at that you can get out of the library or buy, and they're kind of for the beginners, very easy reads, by people who have been in the industry, who've been very successful, and they're written in a fashion to try to give you a feel for how this works. Okay. Go to our website at Vestoc.com. A couple of very good books... Is a thousand miles from Wall Street by uh, Tony Gray. And if you can't write these down, you can go to our website, we record our shows at besttalk.com and besttalk.com. You can listen to it. Common Stocks and Uncommon Profits by Kenneth Fitcher. And uh, Peter Lynch has a very good book, Beating the Wall Street. Or I would suggest you start with those books, they're very easy and it kind of gives you a good idea of how this stuff works. And if I can give you one kind of rule of thumb, buy stocks that make money. There's too many story stocks, too many hot tips. Don't do any of that. Uh Buy stocks that have good earnings and are growing their earnings. That's a very simple thing to do. And you can find that out by most websites. So I start trying to read a little bit on some of these books, get a feel for how the market works and why this stock or that industry works and goes up. And you you really can teach yourself if you have the interest.
0: What kind of money can a person expect to make in, in the market?
1: There is an element and a feeling of gambling in the stock market. There is that there. Think about it this way. When you're buying a stock, you're buying a piece of that company. If that company is making a lot of money, you're the owner that company. The action of the stock price may go up or down. You don't know. But if the company is making money over a period of time, the price of stock may fluctuate differently than the earnings. So what you want to do is focus on the earnings because eventually the stock price will go up to reflect that increased earnings. It may take time. People think they can get in, get rich quick, and then get out. That's not how it is in the stock market. That's how it was in the 1990s, but not anymore. The stock market is going to return you, on average, 10% a year, including dividends, because it has for 70 years. Okay? Great. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 88.99 88.99 99 there is no bubble in stocks. I have been, as long as everybody keeps talking about it, there's no bubble. See, because they, they, there's a lot of reasons. I'm going to give you a few. But when people talk about something, bubbles are happen when people don't notice that, that they're a bubble or they, they suspend belief that it is a bubble. Usually when everybody's looking at it, it's, whatever it is, is not a bubble. Because everybody's paying attention. Okay. So experts have been saying there's been a bubble. I've been reading about it since 2011. And there's been comparisons to 1999, which there should be no comparisons with 1999. Really? Do you remember the dot-com era? Those companies, almost every dot-com did not make money. Did not make money. There was no E in all those dot-coms. And when there's a bubble, no one pays attention to earnings. Okay, so just the fact that investors and traders are paying attention to earnings, there's no bubble. And, of course, have you noticed that earnings are going up 20% this year? Now, I don't want you to misunderstand. The market is overvalued. There's no question. I think we're going to get another correction. Uh, But we're talking about a bubble, Bubble means unsustainable, super high. No one's paying attention to anything about other than the stocks going up, and it's way above his norms. We are above norms, but I can't say we're way above norms. There's no bubble, everybody. No, not yet. Tomorrow on a talk, how to prepare for one spouse's retirement if your spouse is going to retire. And here's a hint: when only one spouse retires. Need a plan to live on a single paycheck? some tips tomorrow. For now, I'm Steve Peasley, on duty and ready to answer your questions at 888-99-CHART.
0: Our podcast continues next. The process of investing is more than just picking stocks. Investing begins with savings, of course, and along the way, there are issues about taxes and then estate planning and on and on. KPP financial clients have a ready resource of information about any and all of these personal financial matters. All they need to do is ask. Managing your money gets more complex every day, and there are more options than the average person could possibly comprehend. And when we're confronted with too many choices, research shows that people put off decisions, important decisions. Most times, that's not productive. KPP Financial's philosophy is the more their clients know, the more successful they'll be, and the more predictable their future will be. KPP Financial, serving the average investor, helping them find solutions. Now let's continue with the podcast. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though 888-99 chart 888-99 chart and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk.
1: 888-99 chart is our number everybody You can reach us. We have lines open 888-992-4278. Let's go to Johnny in San Diego. How are you doing Johnny? Good, good. Brand new to the investment market. Okay. So just wanted to kind of get a feel for Welcome it. to the, the club. Of- what kind of things I should be looking for and what kind of things should I be looking
2: to invest in.
1: This is the first time you really got into the market? Not
2: the first time. The first time uh, I kind of had a bad experience with it, and so uh, I lost about $1,500. Okay. Now I'm just looking around and thinking, you know, it probably is the way to go instead of just sticking the money in the bank because I'm not getting any interest on that. Yeah, yeah.
1: the stock market is the best place to invest money. I will say that. I like real estate, too. Don't get me wrong, Johnny. I, I like real estate. The trick about the stock market is that you don't let emotions control what you do don't let fear get you out and don't let greed keep you in. Mm -hmm. That's the hardest lesson to learn for everybody if you're going to invest in individual stocks, is that your plan or mutual funds? Uh, Individual stocks probably. Okay. If you're going to invest in individual stocks the best thing you can do for yourself is learn how to evaluate a stock price and determine whether it's overpriced or underpriced you will miss some of the skyrockets, like we do. But you'll also you'll have a margin of safety if you understand that I'm not paying too much for this stock. I'm not overpaying for growth. I'm not overpaying for earnings. Therefore, this is a more reasonable possibility of going up. I think that's probably the best lesson to learn, is try to figure out how to evaluate stocks. Try to get numbers on what's the stock's worth, and is it too expensive? and stay away from them. stay away from all the hype that you hear in the news make your own decisions don't buy other people's tips or other people talking about once it hits the news Johnny by the way once you see it on TV it's too late oh, okay too late don't buy the top 10 stocks don't buy the greatest stocks because they've already moved that's how they got there mm-hmm. don't buy those they're very tempting to buy but don't buy the stuff that no one's paying attention to now how do I find those those are not easy to find I will tell you that what you do is you look around. I've been putting some thought to how people can find stocks and quite a bit of thought. How What's the best way for people to find it? And one of the best ways is, what do you do for a living, Johnny? I sell cars. Okay. I don't really care for the car business, but at some point, some point, the parts companies and the companies that make supplies cars with things, they're going to take off before the car business takes off again. The car right. business never stays in the toilet forever. Okay. Right. This doesn't. Take a look around at what you do, your wife does, your kids like or dislike. Take a look around what's hot, what's interesting. When you go to certain stores and they're busy, and what are they selling? That's one way to do it. And Peter Lynch wrote a book on that, and that's how he suggests that you just look around and get ideas. If you do a lot of reading or any reading on economic news or any business-related news, just think, when you read something, what companies are going to benefit from that? What companies are going to suffer from that? Mm -hmm. If you kind of just think in those terms, start thinking about it, give it some thought as opposed to just reading, but then think about what you're reading. You'll come up with some better ideas. You'll come up with some ideas. You will. And there's no thing you can just say, do it this way. It's not. There's no one thing that you can do it. So good luck, and I wish you all the luck in picking out some good stocks. Buy earnings. Buy growth and buy earnings. Don't buy companies that don't make money and don't grow their money. Buy those kinds of companies. Thanks, Johnny. Thank you. Is market is the current stock market over the last few years tracking the stock market like the nineteen thirties? Okay, there's been some written articles about this, some talk about this, and some of the comparisons. Okay, uh, the debt overall debt of the government was very high in the nineteen thirties. Interest rate nineteen thirty two hit zero, just like it did in 2008. The De- deleveraging happened in 1933, and we've seen it start It happen in 2009. Started, the Fed started to deleverage by raising rates and starting to let its balance sheet. Central bank tightening actually started in 1937. Are we tightening now and have been for what year? And the economy improved from 1933 to 1936 before it fell, the, it fell fell. apart again, and so the stock market. And we, our economy has been improving since 2009 to 2017. So, quote-unquote smart people are making these comparisons, and they're saying, you know, we're kind of on the same track. And I don't know if I believe that, I think it's interesting to see the comparisons. Uh, I do think the Fed is is like it has done. And I have I've reported this on the radio. I think the Fed needs to stop raising rates for a while, maybe six, nine months, and see what the previous rates that they have in, uh, in place, how that's going to affect the economy. Because the Fed has been raising rates every time. Every time is raising rates the last, prior to the last eight recessions or so. So they're increasing rates, and that has led to a recession. Not necessarily immediately after the increase. And, and there's a time lag, usually because it takes a while for the, the tightening of the financial markets to filter through the economy. And I think that they should stop and see what they're tightening so far, what kind of effect it's going to have. Now, they're not going to do that. They said they're going to raise two more times this year and maybe more next year. And they're really concerned about inflation, even though we've seen very little evidence of inflation. Uh, uh, yeah, there's some. And yeah, I can understand their fear because, you know, very low unemployment, economy growing very fast. We're going to get GDP numbers tomorrow for the second quarter, and they're going to be very good. And I understand that fear, but you've already raised rates what five, six, seven times. You know how how many rates do you think the economy can take? Rate increases. It takes a while, as I said. So. They want to get the the interest rate to a, quote-unquote, a normal level, which is about 3%. That's the long-term average. And we're a, lo- a little bit under 2% right now. So I'm thinking they're focused too much on that goal personally. Uh, you know, just my opinion. And I'm not talking about the stock market. I'm talking about the economy. The stock market take care of itself. You know, they, they don't like raising rates either but I'm more concerned about the economy because in the long run, that's what determines what the stock market does, the economy. So um, it, are there similarities in the 1930s? Yeah. But I, I, every time I see these people make these kind of comparisons, it, it's just a, it probably is more a, a coincidence of a time period then and now. I don't see it. We didn't have the Great Depression, you know, in 1929 with a market soft market crash, like they did back then, when market lost 80 percent of value. Uh, we lost 50 percent, but it recovered in a year. That didn't happen back in the 1929. So it's, it's hard to make that comparison. I think, as most of you know, we are happy to take your finance and investing questions every weekday on Invest Talk during the radio program. And that's live, 4 to 5 Pacific time, Monday through Friday. But we also accept questions round the clock, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And you mostly, I think you guys know that. The number is always the same, 888-99-CHART. So don't be afraid to call after hours. We love those questions. And when you call, by all means, submit your stock questions. That's okay. I love general questions too, but stock questions are fine. Uh, you know, maybe you want to talk about... Uh, a process of investing, like value investing or growth investing, or you know, uh, how much how much money should I put into any uh, any uh, a defensive position? Should I be de- any kind of questions like that? 401ks, IRA questions, anything financial. Want to make the program available to you and be a learning experience and learning experience for everybody. Okay, now I'm here taking your questions live. 888-99-CHART is our number.
0: Invest Talk listeners in Southern California are welcome to make an appointment with Steve or Justin for a meeting in their Dana Point KPP financial offices. However, for those who live anywhere in Northern California, it may be more difficult to come to Dana Point. But now, in response to strong interest, Steve Peasley has scheduled another round of free personalized portfolio reviews for his satellite office in San Jose. So mark your calendar, August 29th. Then register through the portfolio review page at investtalk.com. Steve is here now, the phone lines are open, and you can get your questions in live. 888-99-CHART. Hi Steve Justin. My question is,
2: I've picked some stocks, you know, I've analyzed them, I picked them that they're going to report good earnings and they have a low PE, good dividends, and they report and the stocks, most of my stocks have been dropping after earnings. So is this the buy the rumor, sell the news type thing? And if it is, how do I avoid getting caught in this besides Buying it and selling before it reports, and then buying it after it reports. So, can
1: I get your guys' thoughts? I enjoy your show, uh, listen to it all the time. Thanks a lot. Bye. So, what he's referring to is an old saying buy the rumor, sell the news. And what that is referring to is in, a, in the stock market, the rumor that their earnings are going to be good. Is when people bid up the stock beforehand. They, th- oh, the earnings, because remember, we're all, all the investors are looking forward. And then when the news comes out that the earnings actually were good, he's noticing that his stocks are selling off when the earnings were good. Very common in our industry. Now, there's two things you can deal with it. You can try to play the game of s- selling the stock on the rumor and buy the news sell the stock on the rumor, and buy the news, and some traders do that. That's exactly what they do. But um, I, if you're an investor, I would tend to have you ignore the quarterly earnings reports if it's you know a company that has long-term growth prospects that's not overvalued. So it depends on kind of investor you are. If you're a trader, you might want to try selling the rumor and buy the news of a good, strong stock. Okay, but if you're an investor, you would ignore it, okay, and you just invest for the long term. Um, And what you could do is buy a half a position before the stock reports its earnings, and if the earnings come out and they're very good, and yet the stock goes down, buy the other half of the position because the earnings were good. The stock is strong, fundamentally. Remember, you buy stocks fundamentally. You buy because they're fundamentally strong. They have good fundamentals. The things that you think are are good to promote a higher stock price down the road. That's why you buy, the, the invest in a company. You don't buy a company based on the stock chart. That's trading. You could do trading based on a chart and ignore the fundamentals. But if you're an investor, you don't ignore the fundamentals. That drives your, 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 your buying decisions. Okay, And your selling decisions. Now, as most of you know, we are happy to take your finance questions. So, please call. We'd love to hear from you. Love to talk to you anytime you want. Now, here's an investment term you should know. Security. A security is a negotiable financial instrument that holds some type of monetary value. Think about that. A security is not necessarily a stock. It's a, a negotiable financial instrument, which includes stocks, that hold some type of monetary value. It could be bonds. It could be interest in a trust. It could be a first trustee. It could be a mortgage. It could, remember, a financial instrument, any kind of financial business that holds some type of monetary value. It represents an ownership position in a publicly traded corporation, like a stock, a creditor relationship with a government body or a corporation, if it's a bond, and rights to ownership as represented by an option, because that is also an option is a security. Now, securities can be broadly categorized into two distinct groups: equities and equities and debt, right? Stocks and bonds, equities. And debt. An equity security represents ownership interest held by shareholders in entities, ex- ex- entity, that's a corporation. A debt security represents money that is borrowed and must be repaid with terms that stipulates the size of the loan, interest rate, maturity, renewal date, bonds, mortgages. Okay. And now over at Investopedia, you know that's one of my favorite ve- sites to to learn. Uh, Investopedia.com, they have a dictionary there with hundreds and hundreds of terms and items and definitions of things, and it's a great resource, everybody. Now, if you have a security question or other investing questions, you can ask them right now, 888-99-CHART, and I want to get to Durable Goods Report before the end of the show. We're going to talk about the Durable Goods Report. Tomorrow we have GDP numbers for the second quarter, the first look, and that's going to be uh, that's going to be a lot better than. Do you remember what what the GDP was the first quarter? The first quarter was two percent, not very good. This one I've seen uh, estimates as high as five point three percent in the second quarter. I don't think that's going to get that high. Don't think so. I think it's going to be in the four range, but just. Four or five weeks ago, they were talking to being like, maybe three. Now, now, look at that. I mean, they've, they've really bumped it up. Now, our Thursday Invest Talk is Friday. It's, yeah, this is Thursday. Our the, the Thursday Invest Talk is quickly heading toward a finish, everybody. We only have one more segment left, 10 minutes or so. So if you have a financial question, any kind of financial question, now's the time to do it. Give me a call at 888-99-CHART.
0: to an encore presentation of invest talk please call with your questions and comments though 888-99-CHART 888-99-CHART and steve will answer them on
1: the next invest talk Let's go to Bob and El Sabrante. How you doing, Bob? Hey, I've heard you talk before about on balance, but I don't exactly know what it is
2: or how to use it as information. Is it a short-term or a long-term statistic?
1: Well, it's not based on length of time. Let's start off with that. Okay. You know what volume is, right? Sure. And for everybody else, volume is just a number of traded shares in a day on a particular stock. And you'll hear the stock market say, one billion shares traded today. Well, that's the volume of the whole market. But you also look at volume of an individual stock. The volume of shares traded on a daily basis is something that a lot of people look at. Well, is it up volume or down volume? Is it volume that's good or bad? Are people selling the stock or are they coming into that? Now, obviously, if you relate the price movement of that stock to the volume, if there's a lot of volume, the stock collapsed by half, you know that was a very bad day. Most days, the stock is moving sideways or up and down slowly, and you don't know if there's more up or down volume. You just know there's volume. But when you look at on-balance volume, that's looking at volume a little bit more closely. And what that does... For every uptick in the price of the stock, let's say the 1,000 shares are bought with a penny higher than they were from someone bought it from just the last sale. It's a penny higher. That would be up volume of 1,000 shares because it's on an uptick. The next volume could be a down one penny, 500 shares. Okay, down a downtick. But the on-balance volume on those two trades would be uptick 500 shares. So on-balance volume adds the number of shares on upticks and subtracts the number of shares on downticks and draws a line. So if the stock price is moving up and you see the on-balance line moving up, that means there's more buyers buying more stocks on upticks. If the price of the stock is moving up and the unbalanced volume is moving down, that means that there's more volume on the down ticks, but there's a higher price movement on the upside. Well, all it does, Bob, is trying to tell you where the pressure is coming from. Is it coming from the sellers or from the buyers?
2: Like you were saying, even if the stock price is going down, sometimes the on-balance volume can be positive, and that's what confuses me.
1: That is very true, and in fact, you're looking for that divergence where the stock price goes one way and the on-balance volume goes the other way, because that's when it tells you the most. So let's say the stock price is going down, but the on-balance volume is going up. That's telling you more buyers are coming in as that stock price goes down. They're buying a lot more shares, meaning that stock is going to stop going down and turn around and go up because there's a lot of interest in the stock on the downticks. The on-balance volume is going down and the stock price is moving up. Uh Watch out. There's more sellers as the price goes higher. People are taking profits.
2: Well, that's
1: great. Thanks for that explanation. I hope that's clear, Bob. That yeah, helps. Thank you. Uh,
2: appreciate your uh, show and your uh, educational value.
1: Invest Talk is
0: here to help. Thank you. And we thank you for listening.
1: Durable Goods Report it came out for June. Durable Goods is those, are those things that last three years or longer. So it's gr- durable goods sales. Things that last, sales of things that last three years or longer. So they're more expensive things. And so the reason why that is important is people will spend more money and corporations, people in corporations will spend more money if they are confident. And if they spend more money on big ticket items for corporations, it tells you that they're investing in their company. So that's the core capital goods part of the durable goods report. And now was up 1%, okay? The core capital goods were up 0.7%. The problem you have is the previous two months, they shrank. So this was supposed to be good news that it was going to be up this month, and it was, the most recent report to June. The expectation was for it to be up 3.8%. It was only up 1%. 1. So, okay, that's good. It bounced. It was better than negative. It had two months in a row of negative negative shrinkage, but now you have a month now growth. Okay, that's good. It's just not. Great. That's what we have to look at. Um, the core capital goods at 7 tenths of percent was more optimistic. That's That was decent. Not great, but decent. And remember, we're talking about those things that will make us more productive, those things that cost a lot of money and we're more confident. So I, I kind of like the report because of that. You know, shows some confidence out there. That's it for, uh, for the production Thursday of the show. I, I appreciate it. It was a very, very good show. Uh, if you want to replay any or all of today's program, you can you can do that from the podcast page on investtalk.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. And please come back tomorrow. I'm Steve Peasley, and good night.
0: Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are principals of Klein, Pavlis & Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlus & Peasley Financial, which retains all rights.